I'm supposed to catch a boat cruise from here. So one of the rules of my tour is that you have only one chance to complain about the heat and the flies. I'm a travel writer for a magazine. How long are you out here, anyway? Oh, just a few days. Alice Springs after this, then home. Where's that? Chicago. Yeah, saltwater crocodile. It's probably the most dangerous member of the crocodilian family. So they can swim underwater at up to 20 miles an hour without making a ripple on the surface. And they can burst out to attack with incredible speed. Don't worry, man, we're perfectly safe on this boat. They won't attack anything bigger than they are. How big is this boat? Big enough. This, this is a bloody tidal river. Well, that's how high the tide will be when it comes in. Somebody do something! Everett! They're not going in the water. I am getting in the water. Neil. I'm gonna swim across real quiet. It's an animal out there and it's, it's hunting us. Move, Mary Ellen, there's two people behind him. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Come on, let's go! Let's go! Come on, it's on! 
dealing with an animal. Like a vicious dog guarding a piece of meat in his backyard. Never smile at a crocodile. Got that song stuck in my head. Hope you guys like my beautiful, soulful singing voice. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Dawn of the Horror Cast. This is your host, Alex, flying solo today. Don't have any guests. I think it's going to be this way for a couple episodes. This episode kicks off my, what I told you before was the Jaws ripoff series, but I'm going to call it the Dangerous Water Creatures That Can Kill You series. Because I don't think everything is necessarily a Jaws ripoff. Now, there'll definitely be some that are basically a Jaws ripoff. This movie today, though, is a well-done movie that should be more than a Jaws ripoff. It should be considered more than that. It's not like a sci-fi original or a campy 80s horror movie when everyone was trying to make the next Jaws and they would just fail at it. Now... Some of these movies are considered classic nowadays. Well, when they first came out, it seemed like they were like kind of like a joke, kind of. But we'll we'll get into that, especially when I'm talking more about like the more blatant Jaws ripoff type of movies. For this episode, I'll be talking about the movie Rogue by Greg McLean. But before we get into that, I hope everyone has been watching some good new stuff. There's a lot of new movies out right now. We saw the new Scream movie a couple of weeks ago. I went in with absolutely no expectations and I enjoyed it. It was it was really fun. It was a it was a great sequel, way better than the fifth one. It's definitely my I think it's got to be my second favorite Scream movie now. I mean, that that always changes, but right now, it's a tie between four and six. I don't know which one I like better. I also saw Knock at the Cabin. I was having trouble staying awake to that one, uh, but I saw most of it. It was kind of boring, but I was forcing, trying to force myself to stay awake because I really wanted to see how the movie would end. I honestly thought it was pretty anticlimactic. I know a lot of people liked it. So I'm not going to really like bash it too much. It wasn't the worst M. Night Shyamalan movie he's ever put out. It was more enjoyable than his last one, Old. So I'll give him credit for that. It didn't have that classic M. Night Shyamalan twist. I'm not sure if that has something to do with it being based on a book. But M. Night could have still added his own twist to it. So 
maybe M Night is finally catching on that not everything has to be a twist. As far as older movies are concerned, we've been watching some older movies too. Last night, me and my wife watched American Pie 2. I think it's my favorite one in the series. It's the one I probably watch the most. And I think it's more hilarious than one. And I also asked Janina, what the fuck is wrong with Stifler? Like, I really think that there's something legit wrong with that dude. That on a whole other level, that's not just him being a smart ass. Like, I think something's wrong with that guy. Running in on the, on the ambulance, being like, I gotta see this. Now, there's something definitely up with Stifler. But I'm not a psychologist, so... Or a psychiatrist, so I can't diagnose him with anything. But I think he could be diagnosed with something. Also watched Rob Zombie's Halloween over the weekend. I think I don't hate it as much as I used to. I still hate Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. But Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 is honestly kind of holds up now it it may have gotten better with age and i saw on april fools of course that he's going to complete the series and i haven't looked into it past april fools but maybe if he did make a third one it might make up for the terrible second one he did and it might also make us forget about halloween ends how fucking terrible that was so we'll see about that. But I'm not going to drag you this on much longer. Today I'm here to talk about the movie Rogue by Greg McLean. And I've only seen this movie a couple of times. But it's got to be one of the better sea monster movies there are. Like for it to be taken seriously, like... It's not a, this, like I said, it's not a sci-fi original movie. It's a movie that was well shot. The shots of the wildlife were great. Shots of the desert and the jungle. The score was amazing. Craig McLean definitely knows how to direct a movie. Craig McLean is the director of Wolf Creek. And there was a lot of shots like that in Wolf Creek as well. Like a lot of shots of wildlife and nature along with like his ominous music, eerie at times. His filmography is great, and everything about Wolf Creek and Rogue were just all-around beautiful movies. I know people, people have mixed feelings about Wolf Creek. Some people hate it, other people absolutely love it. I think I love it. I know that it's a slow burn, it's a slow build-up, the introduction of the movie was about 20 minutes, but it's a great movie. Came out during the whole torture porn era, and I hate that term. I really do hate that term. Came out like right before Hostel, so I think Hostel kind of overpowered Wolf Creek. Mick Taylor is a great horror icon. He's always forgotten about. And speaking of Mick Taylor, John Jarrett is in this movie, and he does an amazing job in this movie. John Jarrett's a great actor. Quentin Tarantino says uh, he's the greatest Australian actor of all time. 
I don't really know much about Australian actors. You know, Mel Gibson's Australian, but he is a great actor. So I'm going to get into the movie, and I'm going to get into some fun facts as well. So, as I said, it was written and directed by Greg McLean, and he's known for Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek 2, the Wolf Creek series that is also very good. I don't even know where to find it right now. It used to be on Shudder, but it's not there now. Also directed a movie called Jungle, which I've never seen, but I would like to check out. And I didn't know that he also directed the Belko Experiment, which was very interesting. The Office meets Battle Royale, I guess. It was composed by Francois Tetez, and I probably butchered, butchered his name. And he also composed the score for Wolf Creek. And you could definitely hear the similarities. Stars Michael Varton as Pete, and he's known for Alias and Never Been Kissed. He was also in One Hour Photo. Gonna butcher this name, but it's also starring Rana Mitchell as Kate. And she's known for Pitch Black, Silent Hill, and Man on Fire. Also, as I mentioned before, also stars John Jarrett as Russell. He's known for Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek 2, Dark Age, which is another movie about a killer crocodile, Boar, which is a newer movie. I think it's supposed to be like an old Australian horror movie about a killer boar called Razorback. I heard it's like that. And Django Unchained. Rogue was one of two Australian crocodile movies made and released in 2007. The other picture was Blackwater. And there was another crocodile movie filmed in 2007, which was an American film called Primeval. The opening scene with the rising sun in a blood-red skyline is a parody of the opening of The Lion King. Rada Mitchell was director Greg McLean's first choice to play Kate. The rope sequence was shot over the course of four nights. In the scene where Sam Worthington fell out of the boat, the shoot was delayed as there are reports of a five-meter-long croc being spotted in the area. After several hours of Worthington being terrified to enter the water and ruining the takes, Greg McLean decided to jump into the water and have a swim to convince him to do it properly. It was only after the scene was shot that they found out that the crocodile had been relocated several weeks earlier. The scene in the crocodile's lair, which were also filmed in a warehouse, was filmed in three weeks. The crocodile only has 5 minutes and 49 seconds of screen time during the movie. Felt like longer, though, didn't it? 
All right, now let's get into the plot of Rogue. Taurus and a tour guide are stranded on an island on a river being stalked by a man-eating crocodile. Okay, so the movie opens with Francois Tetez's score. There's aboriginal chanting and singing. It's very cool, and there's great shots of the Australian wildlife in the jungle and the desert, a canyon with a river between the canyon, and it looks like there's just miles and miles of desert. It's very well-done shots for the opening of the movie. And then it quickly goes to some African buffalo going to the river to get something to drink when one of them is pulled under by a crocodile. And I'm pretty sure that this is the crocodile of the movie. It would make sense. And, you know, a lot of, like, like I said, like a Jaws ripoff type of movie, it will probably have the crocodile killing a human right at the beginning of this of the movie but they decide to make it more realistic which which i like because this movie is pretty realistic i'm sure there's some things that are a little far-fetched but well this is what crocodiles do they wait for their prey to go close to the river or body of water that they're in wait for them to get some of the drink and they come out and pull them under if anyone has seen the old Thai horror movie called just called Crocodile, which was basically a Thai Jaws ripoff, I used to see it a lot in the video store as a kid. Never saw it until recently. The cover always fascinated me with this big giant crocodile emerging from the water, eating people. Well, in the movie, there was a scene where the crocodile is eating an animal. And it was really weird because, like, I think it was a real animal being eaten. You could hear, like, the animal, like, crying or, like, moaning. But it was a mechanical crocodile that was eating it. And it was very confusing. Like, did the filmmakers force an animal to go in the jaws of a mechanical crocodile? Is there some animal cruelty during the filming of this of that movie? But this movie, it was well done. It was really good special effects how the croc quickly pulls the buffalo in the water. It was well done and realistic. So it cuts to a river town as an American journalist named Pete McKell played by Michael Barton, gets off a bus, and he's walking into an old, rundown riverside town. He walks into, like, a general store slash bar, and he's asking where the tour is. And the regulars in there don't seem too friendly. Rock Around the Clock is playing on the radio, and I was kind of catchy. I was bobbing my head. It oddly sets the mood for the movie for some reason. And at the end, as I was singing at the beginning... They play Never Smile at a Crocodile, another old tune. Pete is all stressed and upset because the airline lost his luggage, which is my biggest fear while traveling. That could be my biggest fear in this whole movie because I'm not sure if I'm ever going to have an encounter with a crocodile, but I definitely have had some encounters where I'm the last person in the luggage area waiting for my bags. 
So that is actually pretty terrifying and one of my biggest fears for sure. Like, what do you do when that happens? The airline doesn't give a shit, especially if it was a shitty airline like Delta or Spirit. Another fear would be like the airplane crashing too, but losing the luggage seems more realistic probably. Knock on wood. He purchases a cup of coffee and the guy seems to think that he's like a snobby American. So he puts a bug, (laughs) he puts a bug in his cup of coffee, which I found pretty funny. At first he takes the bug out of the sugar, but then he hears the guy talking shit on the Wi-Fi or the internet connection. So he puts the bug back in his cup of coffee. Pete notices a bunch of pictures of crocodiles and some crocodile victims and they were all real photos of real crocodile victims it was one of a chewed up looked like it was like a chewed up kid and pete is kind of put off by this no i mean i don't blame him but uh the store owner tells him that'll teach you to swim at night just like in Jaws, I know. I always, it always comes back to Jaws, but Chrissy going swimming at night. It wasn't a smart decision on her part. That's where large predators come out to feed. Hey, nice picture. That silly bugger will think twice about going swimming at night, huh? Now it cuts to the tourists boarding the boat. There's multiple boats with tourists boarding them, including the main characters of the movie boarding onto one. The tour guide's name is Kate, played by Radha Mitchell, which I just definitely screwed that up. Maybe I should look that up before I record, but it's too late now. Let me get a look it up really quick to see... How, how how to pronounce her name, Rad. All right, I think I'm overthinking. It's just Rada Mitchell. Simple as that, Rada Mitchell. Anyway, Rada Mitchell's name is Kate. And among the other characters are Pete, as we met, Kate's dog named Kevin, a married couple named Mary Ellen and Everett. Mary Ellen is played by Caroline Brazier. And Everett is played by Robert Taylor. A family of three named Alan. He's the husband and father. He's played by Jeff Morrell. Elizabeth, wife and mother, she's played by Heather Mitchell. And Sherry, the daughter, and she's played by Mia Wasikowska. Also, other characters is a man named Russell, who has two tickets but is alone. He's played by John Jarrett of Wolf Creek. A lone woman named Gwen. She's played by Celia Ireland. And a lone man named Simon, played by Stephen Curry. Kate gives everyone a warning about the heat and the flies and one chance to leave. And everyone stays. Elizabeth is suddenly seen taking medication. And I think it hints to the audience that There's something going on with Elizabeth 
I think they're hinting that she has some medical problems, which they do not fully explain in the movie. But you know that there's something wrong with her, and you gain sympathy with Elizabeth, and you gain sympathy for her family. Like you do not want anything bad to happen to Elizabeth or her daughter, and it's a very unfortunate that I think Elizabeth has cancer, and it's a it's never a pleasant thing, obviously, and especially seeing like a parent with it. It's very upsetting. So that's her backstory. So the the tour is for spotting saltwater crocodiles. That's the main reason why they're on this boat tour on this river. Starts off pretty innocent. Everyone's just enjoying the day, watching crocs. Seems pretty awesome. I would love to do something like this. See crocodiles or alligators. Chances are I'll probably be alligators because I live in the U.S. Even though I think there are North American crocodiles, but I would imagine that they're nowhere where I am. For those who have seen this movie, what do you all think of the Simon character? He kind of seems like he could be kind of annoying, like the way... He was showing off his very expensive camera after taking a picture of the family. Like, I know everyone's just being polite. Like, oh, that's a very nice, impressive camera. Like, I, I would be, I would be nice about it too. But like, all right, dude. Like, we get it. Like, it's a fancy camera. I know you're proud of it and all, but like, dude. Like, it's just he kind of seems like he's flaunting off, like how like expensive it is and hate when people flaunt shit off like that's how you get shit stolen you know (laughs) like he's lucky that no one stole it or he's lucky that the crocodile didn't eat it or did it i don't know also gwen is a smoker which contributes nothing to the plot but kind of like shows like what kind of a character she is and she's a smoker i mean i know people like her that are smokers and they're heavily addicted to it and their houses smell like cigarette smoke had a neighbor that smoked we moved out a month after she moved in but within the first day she marked her territory and it was leaking through the walls and it's a very disgusting smell i used to be a smoker and now i can't even stand like the smell of it at all so the boat passes by another tour boat as it is seen feeding a croc. The crocodile's big, but it's nowhere as big as the crocodile in the movie. And they do say that this crocodile is probably a juvenile crocodile. A juvenile crocodile. And these are all real shots of crocodiles, by the way. And they're all amazing shots. Like I feel uh, crocodiles are fascinating creatures they're like the closest thing to dinosaurs today all right the species that we're looking at today the saltwater crocodile is probably the most dangerous member of the crocodilian family they're pretty much living dinosaurs who have been perfecting their hunting skills over 200 million years so they can swim underwater at up to 20 miles an hour without making a ripple on the surface and they can burst out to attack 
with incredible speed. They're also known to watch their prey and learn their habits. In fact, you can see this bloke looking at us now. So if any of you are camping up here near a river and you need to get water, make sure you do so at a different time every day because the crop will learn your routine. You might want to avoid that. Croc gets a hold of you and he can't swallow you in one go. He will literally tear you to pieces. There's some foreshadowing to what happens later on in the movie where Sherry asks her dad, imagine if they bite you, dad. This is uh, not a spoiler-free podcast. The dad is one of the unfortunate victims in the movie. So this is um, some foreshadowing. And they do it a couple of times in the scene. So Kid explains that the saltwater crocodile is the most dangerous of all the crocodile family. She also states that they could swim up to 20 miles per hour without making a ripple on the surface. And that's pretty fucking fast. They also like to watch their victims to learn their habits and learn their routine. She suggests that if you go camping in the wilderness and go to the water to get water at different times every day because they're going to learn your routine. It's a terrifying thought because basically they're stalking you. They want to learn your habits. They want to see if you're vulnerable, which is pretty scary. And she also said that They'll tear you to pieces, which then Elizabeth says to her husband, can you imagine? Uh, like, as if that's not going to happen to him later. So, so a lot of foreshadowing with this guy. Somebody asks how many attacks on people, and Kate says Taurus occasionally. She's joking around, but, I mean, not really. She gets a couple of the Taurus all spooked the one Mary Mary Ellen is very uptight, so so she's all tense. She's already tense as it is, and then Kate says that, and she gets even more nervous. She also says that there are stories of larger crocodiles than the ones they are seeing, and I think that she must be talking about the the crocodile in the movie. I'm sure people. Hunters, fishermen have seen a large crocodile out there. And I'm sure many people have also disappeared in this river too. They don't the in the newspaper clippings at the general store, there's lots of articles about like missing people and manhunt for a giant crocodile, that kind of stuff. So this crocodile is probably has probably killed many people before i'm not sure if this tour company will ever do tours ever again after this so pete is getting to know kate greg mclean i guess wants to get a relationship between pete the hero of the movie and the co-star of the movie the female co-star so he's trying to get a relationship between them it's never romantic but it's very friendly and they they're very close during that short time so they're getting to know each other. He's from Chicago, and Kate explains that she's never left her local territory, which Pete finds hard to believe, but she explains that it's because of she has no reason to leave her home. It's She loves how people react the first time they see it, and she's in love with it. She's in love with how beautiful it is. 
And Australia is a beautiful country, and I would love to go there one day. Anyway, when Pete was talking, I thought Michael Varton sounded a little Australian, like he's playing as an American, but he almost sounds Australian. Maybe I'm going to look that up too to see if he's from Australia or not, Michael Varton. See, the Australian Michael Varton. Oh, he was born in Paris to a French father and an American mother. So he's definitely not Australian, but he kind of had a, he, he definitely sounded a little Australian in this movie. Anyway, I'm trailing off. So we get into some assholes on another boat. A boat approaches the tour boat and one of them moons the boat. It's always a classy move. When someone does that. Seems like harmless heckling at first. Until the boat crashes right into the tour boat. The two assholes on the boat are named Neil, who is played by Sam Worthington, and Colin, who is played by Damian Richardson. They seem like a couple of Australian rednecks. They stop the tour boat. Neil begins hassling Kate. It seems that they either used to date or he always asks her out and he can't take no for an answer. Total incel move. Just, I'm not going to leave you alone until you say yes type bullshit. She asks them to leave and Neil still decides to harass Kate in the group. Everett tells them that they should carry on because they just want to get on with the tour. He's being assertive, but he's being polite about it which I liked how, how firm he was with them. I respected that. Excuse me, son. Young lady asked you politely to remove yourself. We'd like to get on with our tour. <laughs> it's fucking me. It's John fucking Wayne. <laughs> he was never disrespectful the way he asked them to leave the boat. He was just saying that, gentlemen, she asked you to leave. We would like to get on with the tour, please. Assertive, but never disrespectful. Neil then calls him John fucking Wayne. And I'm not from Australia, but I feel like, do people really act that way in real life? Like John fucking Wayne, huh? I never heard that before, but then again, I'm not from Australia, so I don't know how people act really. Just something I've never experienced before. I'm going to keep this simple for you. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to leave. The fuck are you gawking at for us? One. I don't know. I got the brochure, but didn't say anything about assholes. Then Neil turns his attention on Pete. He asks him, what the fuck are you looking at for us? And I, lo- and I love this response from Pete. I don't know. I read the brochure, but it doesn't say anything about assholes. That was a good one. That was, that was sharp. And uh, Neil doesn't say anything he probably just real knows that he's an asshole so what is he gonna really say kate gives neil one more warning to get off the boat and he doesn't so she causes him to get knocked off the boat as he drives off and we see a pov shot of neil swimming on the surface of the water we don't know if we're supposed to believe that it's a crocodile lurking beneath but i always love scenes like this it's a very Guess what? I'm about to say it again. It's a very Jaws-like shot. I love shot. I love POV shots under the water. It's always intense. 
So the tour continues, and this is a very sad scene. Russell pulls out an urn from his bag and begins to pour the ashes into the water. They never explain what the urn is and whose ashes that was, but I would imagine that's most likely his wife. Maybe they used to go to the river a lot and she loved it. And this was and this was his way of honoring her. Maybe she always wanted to go back one last time and this was his way of going back there and you know, um getting closure. It was a real real sad real sad scene. Shows him wiping back tears and I'm sure some viewers did the same while watching this. I always found this scene really, really depressing. And I, I just find it crazy that this is the same guy that played as psycho serial killer, Mick Taylor, John Jarrett's like a chameleon. Like I, <laughs> I was also thinking about this. Like what if this is connected to Wolf Creek where the police are, now after McTaylor, they know who he is, so he disguises himself as a tourist. The winner. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, maybe Russell's wife passed away from cancer, and that's why Sherry kind of gives him uh, a sympathetic look as he's wiping back tears after he poured out the ashes because then Sherry looks, uh, holds hands with her, her mother and it looks like she's just trying to enjoy as much time with her as she can. Like I said before, this, like, especially in this scene, like this movie has amazing scenery shots of the wildlife and the cliffs and the desert and the jungle. It looks amazing. Kate announces that they are heading back as Everett notices a flare shooting into the sky. He tells Kate, and she says that they're obligated to check it out. The tourists aren't very pleased about it because they all need to catch the bus and they got other stuff to do. Russell kind of gets argumentative and agitated. I'm sure most people would if they're on a time crunch especially if they're out in the middle of nowhere. All right, we've just seen what looks like a distress flare, so we're going to take a quick run up river and see if anyone's in trouble. Oh. I realise this is a bit of an inconvenience, but we do have to respond. I, I got a bus to catch at 6.30. Yeah, so do we. We're meeting family. Uh, who do you think it is? Could be poachers. They sometimes go into Arnhem Land. It could be anyone. Could be anyone, and if it was you up there, you'd want me to respond in exactly the same way. So keep your seat, sir. I'm sorry. So the boat heads towards the location of the flares as there, as there is an overhead shot of the river in between miles and miles of desert. It shows that they're just in the middle of nowhere where they sailed out on the boat. Simon sees a hieroglyphic of a giant crocodile on a cliff and snaps some photos of it. And it made me wonder if crocodiles were like like godlike to Aboriginal people at one point, and that's why there's hieroglyphics of them. I'm a little ignorant on it, so I'm not really completely sure. But 
it makes me think if they were once gods or considered gods in ancient times. So the tour boat comes across a capsized and sinking boat. Now, has anyone been on the Jaws ride in Universal? I was saying this is not a Jaws ripoff, and it's definitely not a Jaws ripoff, but this scene is right out of the Jaws ride at Universal. The boat comes along. They hear that SOS, they need help, and then they go around the corner, and there's a sinking boat straight out of the Jaws ride, but I love it. I love the Jaws ride, and it works perfectly for this movie. And it's actually quite terrifying, like, how many people were on that boat? Probably a f- quite a few people, probably at least 10 people. And that croc had some snacks. So right when they realize it's time for them to leave, that's when the boat is fatally struck by the crocodile, which puts a pretty massive hole in the boat. And they're about to sink, so they speed to an island in the middle of the river. The radio is gone, and everyone is rightfully freaking out. Katie, as the tour guide, is doing her best to calm everyone down, but it's not much use. Everyone's freaking out. I mean, this must be the hardest work day of her life, just in a matter of moments. Well, how will anyone know where we are? I thought you said crocs wouldn't attack a boat. Uh, They're territorial animals, so... If we've stumbled into one's territory, it's it's possible it might have given us a little nudge just to let us know we're not wanted. A little nudge? Well, tell that to whoever was in that boat. My God, we're in the middle of nowhere. So we have to... Well, that's an understatement. It wasn't a little nudge. It destroyed her boat, so that's more than a little nudge. Hey, fuck off. You're in my territory. Keep it moving or I'm going to kill you. She tells them that their dad will send a search party when they don't return. Russell realizes that this is a bloody tile river. And he can tell by how high the trees are, that's where the water will go up to. Which I found interesting. I didn't know about tidal rivers. I know about like tide coming in on the beach. And I also wonder if this is like a if this is like a saltwater river. Because it's a saltwater croc, and I'm sure it spills into the ocean at some point. This is a tidal river, isn't it? This this is a bloody tidal river. What? What does that mean? Well, well, see that bunch of trees up there? Well, that's how high the tide will be when it comes in. Yeah, the whole bloody place will be underwater. Look, that won't be for hours, and we should have time to be able to fix the boat by then. I don't know a lot about boats, but seriously, we can't sit on this pile of mud waiting to go underwater in pitch black. So... He tells them that if they don't get off that island soon, that the whole island will be underwater and they'll all be fucked. It says that they should all swim across, and everyone's like, uh, no, did you just see what happened to the boat? And he starts to walk towards the shore like, fine, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'm just going to do it myself. And... Everyone tells him it's not a good idea, and Everett tries to stop him by pulling him back, and there's a little bit of a struggle with them. And Simon interrupts everyone when he picks up a signal on his handheld radio walkie-talkie thing. And if you pay attention, you could see some rippled water coming up right up from behind Everett. And this scene happens so fast. If you go into the kitchen to get a beer, 
or a soda, you'll miss it. So it cuts to Katie and Simon and then cuts back. You hear like some splashing and it cuts right back to Everett disappearing and a large tail disappearing under the surface. That's how quiet these crocs are, how they go to grab their prey. It's, if you blink, you miss it. So Mary Ellen, of course, that's her husband or boyfriend. She begins panicking because her husband is, is disappeared. And the last thing you see is a massive tail of a crocodile. Now, Everett kind of showed that he had like a courageous personality. I'm sure what the first time I saw, I wasn't expecting him to be the first one to die. And I think the audience in general probably expected him to stick around for a little bit. And I think they killed him off this early because he had that courageous personality and it kind of like makes the other tourists lose hope. Like, okay, one of the smart guys is now gone. He could have been a strong leader, but he got picked off first. Pete and Kate go on the boat wreck to salvage four items. Pete is very concerned about the crocodile and the tide coming in. Kate gets a little snippy with him saying, I thought you were a fearless travel writer. He responds with how he writes articles about restaurants and hotels, and he hates animals, especially ones that can fucking kill you. (laughs) I mean, I don't hate animals, but I fear animals that can fucking kill me, that's for sure. I don't blame him in the slightest. And, like, very few people can prepare for something like this. How, How often does something like this happen? And later on, Pete does mention that it is kind of weird, all this, like, even though crocodiles are dangerous animals and they're responsible for many human deaths, but he's, it is, it's still a freak thing. You don't expect it to happen to you. Kate can't find the flares because they're in the middle of the water. And that's when Pete says, (laughs) would they be in the yellow container with the word flare on it? Like it shows that up. That's useless because we can't get to them. I'm not going out in the middle of the river to get it because the crocodile is in there just waiting for somebody to go in. I mean, everybody is on edge and panicking at this point, so no one's going to go in the river. Everyone's like petrified in fear. I'd be honestly, I'd be losing my mind if this were, if I was in the situation. I'd probably get eaten by the crocodile. Simon hears something that sounds like music on this walkie-talkie. And here comes Neil and Colin, the dickheads of the movie. They're driving past him, laughing at them. Now he's doing his whole, like, incel routine. Like, oh, now you need me. Now you need me. You didn't want me before, but now that you're in trouble, now you now you want me. Just being a straight-up dickhead. And then, <laughs> and then I don't know how to just realize it, but Colin's like, why is their boat like this? And that's when... The crocodile just comes from beneath the boat and flips over the boat. Like, holy shit, this croc ain't fucking around. This is one angry crocodile. Now you want to talk to me? Huh? What's wrong with the bite? (laughs) 
Neil frantically swims to the island and Colin is gone. Neil is screaming for his friend, but he doesn't respond. He's nowhere to be seen. He was either eaten underwater or he was dragged back to the crocodile's lair to be saved for later. As we see later on in the movie, that's where he stashes all the victims. He doesn't feel like eating right now. And I I felt bad for most of the victims in this movie, but I honestly didn't really feel bad for Colin just because of he was just a goofy weirdo. He didn't seem like he had any redeeming qualities. So darkness falls. The tide slowly begins to rise as the survivors make a fire as they try to figure out a plan. And Neil is stuck on an island with them too, may I add. Simon finds some beer in a cooler. And if I found some beer in a cooler, I'd be drinking a couple too. He, I don't blame him in the slightest for doing that. It's a stressful situation. Definitely be pounding a couple back. It might make me feel at least a little better. It, might, it also might increase my courage to swim across the river too. Who knows? Neil says he will quietly swim across the land to tie a rope to a tree for the other side of the rope to be tied to a tree on the island. The plan is with a rope tied from one tree to the other, it's raised high enough. Everyone is going to climb across the rope to land. It's like an obstacle course type of a thing. It is a great idea for an asshole. He's a, he's a dickhead, but he's kind of a street smart, but it's not the street. He's jungle smart. He's Australian Outback smart. It's a rare in a horror movie when the asshole becomes a courageous character. So I I turn from despising Neil to actually liking Neil in this movie because he definitely does redeem himself. That's what I like about this movie. This movie shows different qualities in all the characters. They're all well-rounded characters. And Alan is afraid that his wife won't be able to get across the ropes with the condition that she is in. Neil says that no one has a choice if they want to get off the island before it floods. Neil assures Alan that his wife will be fine. Really, he really is redeeming his character at this point. He also tells everyone that the crocodile is still there because they're in its territory and it's waiting because it tagged them. It has their set and it's decided that There it's meal. The crocodile is going to kill everyone and take those back to its lair to save for later. That is enough to scare everybody, to motivate them, to plan to take action. If you stay on the island when it floods, the croc is going to eat you. So either take a chance and climb across the ropes to safety or get devoured by a giant crocodile i think i'd rather take my chance i feel bad for the family the most with the condition that elizabeth is in she does seem like she's a mentally strong woman along with her daughter sherry sherry seems like she's mentally strong too i mean i'm sure she's seen her mom deteriorate for years with the condition she's in and that'll make anybody strong 
and Sherry assures Elizabeth, her mom, that she will do fine crossing the rope. And Elizabeth reassures Sherry back that she'll do just fine. You can tell that Sherry is terrified, but she's not losing hope. She's a she's a real strong girl. And she might very well come out of the movie becoming one of the strongest characters because of it. So Kate tries to convince Neil not to swim across, but there's no other options. He tells her that it's not to prove anything to her. Neil, Neil. I don't think this is a good idea. Someone's got to cross. You don't have to do this. Okay, well, what do we do? I think... I'm not doing this to prove anything. It's just... Well, you want to go home, don't you? Yeah, of course. Right. Now, Four Eyes, Pete, that's what Neil called Pete earlier, Four Eyes. Pete and Neil are now working together. Four Eyes is working with the asshole. Pete is asking if crocodiles are usually like this. And Neil thinks it's because everyone is sticking around on his territory, just like taunting it and pissing it off. He thinks that the crocodile thinks that they're moving in. So it just, it's just really agitating this dangerous animal. You're not as stupid as you look. Yeah, hopefully you're not either. Why do you think it's doing this? Heard stories of them getting territorial, but people just keep going. They leave them alone. Us being here, that's going to be driving him crazy. He's going to feel as if we're moving in. Yeah, but this is still pretty weird, right? Large crocodiles are aggressive in real life anyway, and I'm sure they are responsible for more deaths on humans than great white sharks. Like, you hear about way more deaths on humans from crocodiles than great white sharks. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. And, like, the deaths on humans or attacks on humans from sharks, great whites at least, like, they're mistaken for something else. It's like a mistaken identity where, like, they think you're a seal and they bite you and they let you go at that point. It's too late and you bleed to death or lose a leg. I think crocs, they see a human, they they know what you are, but they're just ultra-aggressive there. They don't give a shit. Like, if you're in this territory and you don't leave on time, it's going to tear you to pieces. Same with hippos. So Neil begins to swim across, and he swims across very quietly as Pete unravels the rope little by little at a time as Neil is, has the rope tied across his body. It's a very nerve-wracking scene, not knowing if the crocodile will strike. Everyone that's been in the water so far has died from the crocodile. He makes it across the land, and Mary Ellen asks if she could climb across first because she's just scared shitless, and she just wants to get off the island. He ties the rope to the tree, and Russell ties the other end of the rope to the tree on the island mary ellen is already nervous as she gets on the rope this is more nerve-wracking than when neil swam across the water just because like what russell said earlier he said that 
they were watching crocodiles jump like five feet out of the water earlier to grab food that the other tourist boats were hanging to feed the crocodiles. This crocodile of this size could easily jump out of the water to snatch everybody climbing across this rope. And this is very nerve-wracking, like more, way more nerve-wracking than Neil swimming across the water because at least Neil had confidence. Mary Ellen has absolutely zero confidence. Simon has his camera on night vision as he is on the lookout for the crocodile. Alan is getting very antsy and he wants his daughter to go next. And suddenly Mary Ellen stops moving as she just straight up panics. She is petrified. Everyone is telling Mary Ellen to keep moving and she doesn't like, Nothing you could say is going to convince her to move. She is stuck. And then this is when Alan makes a move where he's trying to make Sherry get on the rope. And people come and try to intervene. Pete tries to intervene. Simon tries to intervene as well. But he's just combative with everybody. We're going. We're going. He's desperate to save his family, but this isn't the way to go about it. Like, this is very, comes off like cowardly of, of Alan. And this is what I kind of lose, kind of lose sympathy for him a little bit. Now, Alan jumps onto the rope after Sherry, just weighing down the rope, putting pressure on everybody, putting pressure on Neil to hold the rope and Russell on the other side. And Russell calls him a bloody idiot, which I agree. This guy is a bloody idiot. Now, this rope can't hold three people. It can only hold one person at a time. Everyone is yelling at him to get off the rope, but he's not going to listen. And this is exactly how cowards die in horror movies, doing shit like this. She's not moving. For Christ's sake, move! Again. They have no choice to yell for Mary Ellen to keep moving, but she won't move. So now three people are stuck on the rope. Then suddenly, Neil comes face to face with a crocodile. And that's the end of Neil. Neil gets killed by the croc. And the tree begins to give out from three people being on and all at the same time. All three of them fall in the river. 
They frantically swim back on the island. Alan is still on the water as he begs people for his forgiveness from this cowardly act he just did. He fucked up everything. He pulled the tree out. Now he ruined the plan. Everyone is staring at him like they want to kill him too. Now when Kate's about to help him up, the croc comes up from behind and grabs his leg and rips his leg right off, flips Alan into the middle of the water. The crocodile is now chewing on Alan's severed leg, swallows that down, goes in the water, and pulls Alan underneath the water. This was awesome. I, lo- I love this. It was a great scene. This is when you see how truly big this crocodile really is, too. It's basically a dinosaur eating this guy and pulls Alan underneath the water. And that's the end of Alan. Shouldn't have done that. Should have just been patient. Now your daughter is fatherless. And now her sick mom is a single parent. So, Alan, you're a dickhead. So the tide keeps coming in, and Elizabeth is in desperate need of her medication, which she lost in the boat wreck. So now there's another conflict in the movie. Kate tells Pete that there might not be any help until the morning, and she feels guilty about bringing him there. It's not her fault, though, and Pete also reassures her that it's not her fault. She was just doing her job. As a boat captain, you're obligated to go check out a situation where someone might be in need of help. That's the way it is. It's it's a standard standard rule. But anyone would be blaming themselves for it, though. It's something you can't really help. Kate tells Pete that there are painkillers in the first aid kit in the boat wreck for Elizabeth, and he comes across a large anchor as he's looking. He comes up with an idea that since the crocodile is just a stupid animal, basically, it can be defeated by them. He comes up with an idea of luring it with bait. Kate suggests using a life jacket to keep the anchor afloat, but there is no bait. Simon seems drunk off the boat wreck beer and is arguing with Pete saying it's useless. Everyone starts eyeing up Kevin the dog to use him as bait, and Kate gets very defensive as anybody would. They want to sacrifice a dog, which is a big no-no. Big no-no. Elizabeth says that she might only have one year left with her daughter and she'll be damned if she dies on the island. No. 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 I can't. Yes, you can. I can't. I have spent years... I said no! ...battling for one more year, one more moment of knowing my daughter. I can't. I haven't come this far for that to go down to some pile of mud in the middle of nowhere because you're not prepared to make a sacrifice. At this point, if I was Kate, that's where I'd probably push Elizabeth in the water and be like, we'll use you as bait. That's what I would do. You suggest using my dog as bait? I'm going to use you as bait now. I would put her on the anchor for suggesting such a terrible thing. Simon finds some dead ducks. They were the ducks that Neil and Colin killed earlier in the movie, and they were on the boat. Surprised the croc didn't eat those already. So they hooked the dead ducks onto the anchor, so problem solved. They didn't have to use Kevin the dog after all. Russell is confident that the plan can work and tells Pete that it's just like fishing. 
The plan is to trap the crocodile on the duck-impaled anchor, which is tied to a large rock as everyone swims across the land. Pete reluctantly agrees to be the last one to swim across, but he's going to be there to make sure that the anchor stays tied to the giant rock. As the water comes in faster, the remaining survivors wait for the big-ass crocodile to bite the bait. I liked how Russell was smiling as he saw Elizabeth and Sherry comfort each other. This might actually confirm that his wife did die of of a terminal illness. Even though at the beginning of the movie, Russell kind of seemed like he was more of a panicky character with a sad background, he actually turns out to be one of the bravest and most compassionate characters in the movie, probably next to Pete. Kate tells Pete that crocodiles like the scent of dogs, so Kevin should cross last with him. She makes him promise that he will make sure that he is okay, and he promises. There is way too much uncomfortable tension built around this dog, and I was worried for this dog the whole entire movie, and you've seen this movie because you're listening to this episode. You know the unfortunate outcome of Kevin, and that just makes you go, what the fuck? Like, seriously, fuck you for her, for doing Kevin dirty like this. So the the crocodile bites the anchor and begins to pull it as it is caught on his mouth, and he starts pulling on the rock. That's when everybody, except for Pete and Kevin and Katie, begins swimming across the river along with Russell and Elizabeth as Russell is pulling Elizabeth because Elizabeth is too weak to swim across on her own. And this is one of the many reasons why Russell is a strong and courageous character. Kate finally goes in the water, and of course that's when the crocodile loosens himself from the anchor. Kate yells for everyone to go into the jungle to find help. Pete and Kevin go in the water to go after Kate, but it's too late as the crocodile pulls her under. I wonder how far everyone was when Pete was calling Kate's name. They couldn't have been that far away, but now Pete and Kevin are all by themselves. So now Pete presumes that Katie is dead, and Pete and Kevin are off in the jungle all by themselves. It's morning at this point, and Pete finally hears Simon's voice from afar and he goes looking for the group when Kevin runs off. Kevin, come here. Kevin, come here, you little shit. Kevin. Here in this scene, there's a shot of a lizard, like an iguana and an owl. And I just love this shot. I've said before, the cinematography in this movie is awesome. Seems that Greg McLean loves footage of wildlife, and there was a decent amount of footage like this in the first Wolf Creek. Pete hears Kevin barking, and he doesn't want to break his promise of protecting him at all costs to Kate. Pete goes into the stump of a tree that turns into a tunnel that leads into a cave. He slips down the tunnel and falls in the watery cave that turns out to be the crocodile's lair. And his, what I call his stash house for bodies. 
Pete finds Neil's mutilated body in a watery grave. It was pretty disgusting looking how mutilated Neil's body was. Already attracted maggots, too. It was really disgusting. It was almost like Mick's lair in Wolf Creek with all those dead, rotting bodies with all like the bugs eating everybody. Fucking disgusting. Pete finds Kevin sitting down, and when he gets closer to him, he finds that Kevin found Kate's unconscious body. Her leg is badly wounded from the crocodile pulling her down by her leg. Kevin hears or senses something. Kevin wants revenge at this point, but poor fucking Kevin. So he hears something, and he runs out of the cave, and Pete calls after him until he hears a yell. I want, I, want, I want to know that Kevin died a hero. So maybe he wanted to fight the crocodile. But of course, the crocodile was way too giant for poor Kevin. Pete hears the croc enter in the cave. So he searches for a place for him and Kate to hide. They find a hole and hide in there as it enters and slides into the water. And then when he comes up on the other side of the water, we see Kevin in his mouth as he crunches and consumes him. What the fuck, right? We were worried for this fucking dog the whole entire movie, and we think he's going to make it. McLean does us dirty like this. Does Kevin dirty like this? When I saw this movie a long time ago, I completely missed it. I didn't even know this is what happened. I must have went in the kitchen or something. There's, There's a lot of scenes in this movie where if you so much as blink, you miss it. That's what I find interesting about this movie, too, is you... There's a lot of things you just got to watch the whole movie. If you if you blink, you're going to miss it. But this time I reacted strongly. Like, are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck? Hard to watch. Hard to watch. And I'm sure other people reacted strongly as well. I know. I bet my paycheck. <laughs> people that get extremely emotional and upset about a dog dying in a movie might not want to watch this scene. Like, it was on yesterday when I was watching it. I told my wife about it. She was like, fast forward. Yeah, I did. I fast forward. I, my wife is pregnant right now. And, <laughs> and I know that she's uh, more emotional than usual, but she doesn't like seeing dogs die either in movies at any time. And I don't blame her, but I respected her. Fast forward. It was another issue in the movie Megan that we watched recently. There was a dog. I, spoiler alert, there was a dog that died in that as well off screen, but she didn't want to see that as well. So people that get upset about that kind of stuff won't want to see this scene. That's for, that's all I'm going to say. For this movie, it doesn't really show anything to what happens to Kevin. It doesn't show him getting killed, but it shows the aftermath and that could be just as upsetting. Now, I, I, I really love the ominous music that is played as the crocodile creeps his way into the cave. It's got like a very doomy vibe to it, like an impending doom kind of sound to it. Like the croc is here, you're doomed. It's almost like the, the low notes of the Jaws theme. The ominous doomy music is the crocodile, sort of like how the Jaws theme is the shark, if that makes sense. So after the crocodile eats his breakfast, he decides to take a snooze. That's when Pete grabs Kate and tries to sneak off with her. 
And it keeps on cutting back to the crocodile sleeping with that low, boomy sounding music. Very effective. And what I, what I do like about this crocodile for this movie is that the croc is huge, but it's still realistic enough that I could believe that this could actually happen or that I could believe that there can be a saltwater crocodile of this size. Now it's it's like it's not huge on a mutant level like monsters in like the movie Killer Crocodile, which I am going to be doing next, by the way, and Alligator or Toby Hooper's Crocodile. This croc is more realistic than those monsters in those movies. Pete makes it across the deep puddle with Kate, and then all of a sudden, he hears something slipping into the water. And then, next thing you know, the crocodile strikes, attacking Pete. They hide in a hole in the cave, but the croc starts banging on the rocks and flipping around, trying to collapse the hole. Pete slips away and goes to the other side of the pit of the water, trying to fight it off with a large stick, which it bites in half and flings Pete against the wall, leaving him cowering in a corner. It attacks him as Pete tries to fight him off, and... The crocodile bites Pete's hand, mutilating it badly, like bites off like three of his fingers. Pete stabs the crocodile over the top of the head with something sharp. It might have been like a sharp rock or something and fence it off temporarily. Kate begins coughing and the crocodile hears her, so it begins to go after her. Pete gets up and tries to yell at it to distract it away from her. He throws a rock at its back. That skin is so thick. And tough. I'm surprised that crocodile even felt that. It turns around and it's pissed off. He sees the chewed up stick and notices that it has a very sharp stump. And he quickly comes up with a plan. Lodging it in the cave wall, he waits for the crocodile to strike. And when he does, he impales it through the mouth, through the top of its head, killing it. The noises the sharp stick makes are very disturbing as it slides through the monster's skull. For a second, I thought it was the crocodile making these squeaky noises, but it was just the noise of the stick just going up its scaly skin through its skull. It was very uh, hard noise to listen to. He lays across the animal's dead body as we see how big it really is. And I'm sure I've seen crocs the size on the Discovery Channel. The crocodile does look amazing and well done. Um, they use both CGI and practical in this movie. I'm sure that. They used practical, like, this looked like a puppet, and it looked great. It was very well done and very well detailed. He grabs Kate, and they leave the cave, and the outside now seems peaceful and worry-free as the sun shines. Like, as soon as the bad guy in a movie is dead, then all the atmosphere just seems very peaceful. As Pete wanders through the jungle with Kate in his arms, he finds the rescue team with the survivors of the boat tour medics prepare for kate to be airlifted out of there when she ironically asks him what did you think of the tour now that's some light humor that never gets old in a movie like this of course he's probably never going back to australia that's a no-brainer seems like everything in australia wants to kill you now australian listeners feel free to let me know if you fear for your life every day <laughs> I've noticed that McLean loves putting foreigners in this movie too, like Americans, people from England, people that are like out of their element. I wonder if Pete told Kate about what happened to Kevin. 
I'm sure he unfortunately did, and she was probably very upset about it, but I'm sure she's also grateful to be alive. Kevin dying in this movie is a total fucking bummer. Everyone could have died. As long as Kevin survived, I would have been cool. The scene ends with an amazing shot of the river and cuts to where the movie opens up in a general store, and there's a new newspaper clipping on the wall. There's a picture of Pete, and it says, Taurus defeats Killer Croc, and it goes to credits. And Never Smile at a Crocodile plays during the credits, which I found very funny, and I thought it was appropriate and ironic to play this song. Now, a lot of people will think that this is kind of an odd flex, but I think Rogue might have the best water monster since Jaws, if we look at it from a serious standpoint. And this movie does intend to be serious, which I do respect about it. It doesn't have that Jaws ripoff vibe to it, and it doesn't feel like a sci-fi original about a killer croc, which there are hundreds of. I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy those types of movies, but it is a very pleasant breath of fresh air when there's a killer animal movie and I'm actually on the edge of my seat and I'm not just like laughing at it like we do with a campy monster movie from the 80s or a shitty sci-fi original movie that is not to be taken seriously at all. With this movie, like I was on the edge of my seat, it's like the same way now, not quite as much, but it's like on the same like way I feel when I watch Jaws over and over again. All the characters are well-rounded for the most part. And for the most part, you don't want to see any of them die. Maybe one or two. Like Alan kind of turned out to be a dickhead, even though his intentions were good. But with this cowardly act, you just get sick of him really quickly at that point. And Colin was just a goofball that didn't seem like he had any redeeming qualities. But, like, even Neil redeemed himself, though. And, like, with with Alan dying, like, I, I don't really feel bad for him so much just because of the way he acted. Like, of course, that was going to happen. But I, I do feel bad for his family, like, especially Sherry, because now Sherry doesn't have have a dad and her mom is terminally ill and her mom is now a single mother so i i really do feel bad for the family and i think that's good writing how they they make me feel that way let's talk about kevin for a minute even though i've talked about him a lot just like uh i'm sure most people have seen predator that came out last year On Hulu, everyone feared for the dog's safety the whole entire movie. And we were having heart attacks that we were praying that nothing would happen to him. That's how I felt watching Kevin the dog. Like, nothing better happened to the dog. Nothing better happened to the dog. And then right at the last scene, all right, suckers. (laughs) You guys thought that Kevin was going to survive? Well, he did it. McLean could have done without killing off Kevin. That's my opinion. He didn't have to kill it, but I don't know. Maybe it's to get you to want Pete to kill the croc even more, I guess. 
But to make myself feel better, I like to think of this dog as a hero. He is. He he found Kate. He led Pete to Kate. But rest in peace, Kevin. He called me a crybaby, but dog deaths always disturb me in movies. I guess I'm not tough enough. But I know that a lot of people agree with me on that. So, yeah, I'm going to give this movie four out of five stars, which is a pretty high rating. And I, w- I would recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it. But if you're listening to this, I gave away the whole entire movie. So I recommend you watch it again if you haven't seen it in a while. It's available on Tubi. And there's probably a cheap DVD copy of it you could find on Amazon, I'm sure. So I'm going to keep up the series, which for the next episode, I will be doing... Well, I was talking about campy monster movies from the 80s. Well, I will be doing Killer Crocodile, the Italian cheese fest gore movie from the late 80s. And am I excited about it? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I might be just as excited to talk about that movie than I was to talk about this movie and you should be expecting that pretty soon along with other great water monsters that can kill you movies until next time everybody i hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time see ya